Hey there, welcome to the Creative Metaverse Podcast, formerly known as the Game Artist Podcast. My name is Ryan Kingsline, and I'm the CEO of Vertex School, where we train creatives for the career of their lives. In this podcast, we interview amazing creatives and artists working in film, games, and building the metaverse right now. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. All right, so... Joby, right? That's how I say that, right? Yeah, got it. First try. Good. (laughs) All right. So I'm super glad to have you here. I was taking a look at your art station. Man, you know, a beautiful, wonderful work. And that's, I think, one of the things I want to talk about today is really just this pursuit to get kind of beautiful environment work, especially with organics, because, man, it's a ton of stuff, isn't it? Yeah, at this point, I've worked on like kind of more urban stuff, organic Mm -hmm. vegetation, yeah. Now, my current job at Respawn, I'm doing a lot of hard surface stuff. So Yeah. yeah. Let's start out with where, where you are now, what you're doing now. Yeah. So right now, I'm a senior environment artist at Respawn Entertainment. Yeah. So I'm working on Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Okay. We're kind of pulling back the curtains on this week, so it's pretty exciting. Ah, this is great time then. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, yeah, it's a crazy week. It's exciting. <laughs> are you going to be posting that on your art station? Yeah, eventually, <laughs> for okay. sure. So I'm working on that, doing a lot of hard surface work here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just because like the last two projects, like I've just been like 100% focused on vegetation. So when I came onto this position here, I was like, yeah, I kind of want to like try something else and challenge myself. <laughs> so since then, they've kind of almost like tilted all, all the way the other way. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm just doing mostly hard surface stuff at this point. So um, what does that so, mean when you're doing hard surface? Because I think one of the things we do in the boot camp, we shepherd people either into in uh, organics or into hard surface because we find that yeah. that's kind of a bit of a specialty. Mm-hmm. Um, is it no. fair to say that like people who do one generally tend to do one for a while? I mean, it depends on the companies. This is the first time that I worked at a company at Respawn. And, and I mean, especially for this game where we actually have like specifically hard surface artists, which I'm not, I'm like an environment artist. So I work on yeah. more like levels and like big picture stuff, but like our hard surface artists, they could be working on like weapons, spaceships, things like that. Kind of like more of like a 3d artist, but focused on, on hard surface. But for me, I'm working on like environments. When I say hard surface, is that like, yeah, just like working on stuff like on a spaceship or like things like that so of that nature. But I'm working so, on like, the full environment rather than like just like a singular prop or vehicle or whatnot. Right. And then what does that mean in terms of what you do? So like, um, what's your work product? Is your work product 3D models, trim sheets, the whole deal, substance materials? Yeah. It, I mean, it varies day to day. depends on our point in production. Mm-hmm. Right now, we're kind of just going towards a big milestone right now, and we're trying to get all kind of like the rough geo in. So we're just trying to like eliminate anything that's gray and things like that. Uh, mm-hmm. So just getting like temp textures on stuff. So whether it's like creating new stuff, new materials, or using existing ones and and pulling all that together. But since I'm kind of like leading a level a bit, yeah, it's a lot of world building, kind of just like blocking stuff out to get ready for like a junior that's working with me, things like that. So it's like a lot of big picture stuff and just kind of setting the groundwork to, to have it all come together and work with different departments, lighting, skybox, all that. Got it. Okay. So you're building mostly the geometry, blocking things out. Do, at this stage, are you guys thinking about like paths and gameplay and any of that stuff? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the biggest part of the job, I think. I'm basically partnering with the level designer and talk to him every day or every other day. And we're, yeah, just trying to collaborate and kind of find compromise between the space because like design has their goals of what they want to meet and then we have our goals and then we're trying just trying to find meet in the middle yeah so i work pretty close with my designer to like kind of like define like oh good points where like this will be like a nice vista moment for art and we can tell like this specific story and things like that 
So yeah, we're absolutely thinking about like the golden path, just like where the player is going, where, what they're looking mm-hmm. at. Yeah. And that's not something that I think they teach a lot in environment arts. It's one of the things I've noticed is everybody just focuses on pretty picture. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and I mean, that's a lot of what you learn, like, kind of on the job, because it is hard to, like, kind of replicate that in, like, game art school, right? Um, Unless you are teaching, like, level designers, and then you have them do group projects with, like, all that. But yeah, it's definitely a thing, because... Yeah, it's like in the name, right? We're game artists, like we're not just artists. You have to make it pretty, yes, but it has to be functional, has to feel good for gameplay, has to play good. So, what do you think? What are the kind of elements that an environment artist can think about that helps present that they're, you know, they're thinking gameplay too? Yeah, I mean, there's a few different tools. More often than not, you kind of have to be like a bit heavy handed and kind of like try to oversell it just because, yeah, when we start playtesting and you see what players are doing, like they stray pretty easily. Um, so I mean one big part is definitely lighting like that will definitely help to like literally like kind of highlight where you need to go if you play games like Uncharted and stuff like that you notice that they like they really play up the contrast on any like kind of climb ledges they need to do so like Mm kind of the classic bird poop or just like kind of like that white kind of decal on there things like that so it's various things that you can play with so it's basically what you're looking for is just contrast in the image and like to really kind of lead the eye there so any leading where there's texture, lighting, placement of props that leads you a certain way, things like that. And how do we know if a prop is something that's interesting? Is there some? Is it just contrast and this is much more detail or you, you've got the lighting on this and we know to gravitate to, oh, let's go check out that gun on the table kind of thing. Right. Yeah, I mean, when you're putting the, the environment together, it's like it's, yeah. it's not so much focused on like any individual prop, I'd say. It's like huh? you're kind of building the whole space and kind of looking at it all together. Right. And then after, there might be a space there that you try to focus on, right? So it's like not necessarily a prop. Sometimes it can be like if an area is like themed around a certain object or things like that. But right. yeah, it varies. Got it. All right. So in terms of the work product, a lot of what you're doing right now is just uh, is the actual building of it. But mm-hmm. for somebody who's kind of new to this whole conversation, because when we look at environment arts, like it's, I mean, it's crazy, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. It's like, um, that's not really just one job. You guys really probably need to divide this up at this point, I think. Yeah, and some companies do. Like, ours is a bit less divided. We're all kind of, like, kind of flatly called environment artists. But within that, we have, like, some map leads. We have kind of people that are more junior that are, like, under those map leads and helping them out. For example, at Ubisoft, where I started, I actually came in as a modeler because that way you kind of start just working on props. So you're working under a level artist who's above you, and they're owning mm-hmm. a level and kind of putting it all together, taking your stuff, giving you blockouts and things like that. So typically, that's the way I've seen most companies do it. It's like you come in as that, you're, you're working on props, you're working, and then gradually you kind of like ramp up from like small props to like big props to right. sometimes you get like a little area and like you get to set dress that, build it out. And then, yeah, eventually you, you start going to levels and stuff like that. Like if the company does a good job to like kind of foster growth. Right. Yeah. Like, for example, my, my very first prop, I worked under um, my buddy Adam Brommel at UB and like, he got my first day. He's like, so what did I make? And we we're working on like this subway map. And he's like, uh, so we need some signs. And I was like, so just a cube. And he's like, yeah, pretty much. And I was like, all right. It's like first job. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. So in terms of uh, somebody looking to get into the industry, is there like a, um, you mentioned modeling, but is there any other angle to take on that? Yeah, there's definitely like modeling. So prop art, like there's texture artists nowadays with like substance and all that. So those were like the two main things really. Typically, I like I there's very rare cases that I see like kind of students coming out of school and then they come in as like owning levels and stuff like that. We have like one guy on our team, Steve Hong, who does that and he's like a beast. <laughs> but 
yeah, he's few and far between. Typically, like, yeah, you start out doing the prop art and then you kind of move up from there if you're looking for environment art specifically. But yeah, there's definitely a character art, all that as well. Well, you know, one of the things that I think confuses us too in this conversation is mm-hmm. do we need a full environment in our portfolio? Do we just mm-hmm. need props? You know, what makes us hireable? Right. Well, I'd say the big thing is like ultimately when, when I'm interviewing candidates and like especially people coming out of school, what I'm looking for is kind of potential, right? So like, I'm not looking for you to be able to do everything right away. I need you to show like, for example, that you can like do a good prop and like you're showing wireframes and like UVs and like potentially even LODs or even like you're like, you're you're already starting to worry about collision. Like that kind of gives you an edge a bit. But then also like, it is nice to see like maybe the beginnings of an environment, maybe not a fully fledged one. It could be like a little diorama. It could be like something like pretty focused. That just is starting to show that you have those chops and you're thinking about storytelling or you're thinking about padding and stuff like that. Right. Ultimately, like, yeah, show, showing potential, right? Like a lot, a lot of the juniors we've hired on on our project now, like, they had a mix. They had a bunch of like super solid props, but then also yeah. they started, the, yeah, building out these little mini environments. And it's like we're not expecting like a whole level or anything, but those mini environments, like, definitely, like, they might be rough around the edges, like, and things like that, and that's fine. But as long as we can, like, once we interview you and stuff, like, we see that you're open to feedback, that you're easy to work with, and right. have that potential to grow, right? Yeah. What are the things that kind of signal to you that somebody's ready? And, and I'll, I'll give you a preface it this way. In the boot camp, one of the things that I kind of focus on is this. I've dealt with students for a long time, and, I, and I'm a lifelong student myself. And we yeah. always have, a lot of us have this desire to kind of master something before mm-hmm. we apply for the job or before we think we're qualified, right? And yeah. you know, I've seen that's useful in some areas and not in others because we over-prepare. Like, hey, I'm going to master anatomy before I become a character artist. Good yeah. Freaking, good luck at that, right? That's just uh, going to be... Yeah. Welcome like, to the next 15... That's a lifelong thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, so I hope you're independently wealthy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so in terms of being an environment artist, I have a belief that there's just certain triggers that tell somebody they're you're a candidate or not a candidate. Mm-hmm. You know, like one of them is, do you have it finished and is it in a game engine? You know, because that's something yeah. that a lot oh, of that's- people... Yeah, that's super important. Yeah. 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 So are there any other triggers that tell, like, it's just like, okay, this is definitely, guy. this guy doesn't have potential yet, maybe, but they're just still in the amateur phase. Right, right. I mean, yeah, the game engine thing, that's huge. Mm-hmm. Anything you show should be in real time, like whether it's Marmoset, whether it's Unreal, Unity, whatever. Yeah. That's a huge step and like kind of a huge leg up. Do you like care if it's Unreal or Marmoset? Uh, not specifically. I mean, at, at the end of the day, as long as it looks good. Yeah. Personally, like I, I definitely feel like one is better than the other in terms of like if you're gonna put together like say a kind of like a mini environment, the ease of tools and stuff like that in Unreal is a bit better. But like, Marmoset yeah. can be a bit finicky for that building like full things. But yeah, there's no no preference as long as it's real time and like you're you're showing it within an engine, that's great. Because like if you come in with a portfolio and it's all just like offline like mental array V-ray renders or whatever, it's like that right. doesn't really give me a good idea that you'll you want to be working on a game even. So that'd be one. And then I think. As a student as well, you should be focusing on just trying to find just that edge over everyone, pretty much. So like I kind of touched on it earlier, but just showing the beginnings of like technical chops that you know about all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So like whether you're you're already thinking about LODs and like you're kind of showing that off that you did that for a prop or you're just showing your wireframes and that they're clean and then that, or that you have a, like a basic understanding of collision. Like yeah. al- already if you show that like with like your props and stuff like that, like that that already gives you kind of like a a good boost compared to most people at the end of the day, say like I have a candidate who has like just like a super nice portfolio and this one has one as well. But then this one said like, Oh, 
here's my LEDs. He's like, here's my infrared count, my wires, all that. And like, that's already like a win in my book for that person. Do you care about frame rate or does that not matter just yet? No, that wouldn't matter just yet. And like, that's like something you really learn on the job. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like, yeah, because like once you're running on console and you're starting to think about like all those constraints and stuff, but that, that stuff is hard to like kind of grasp on like when you're in school still. And I think you shouldn't assume too much about that stuff. You really kind of get a reality check about all that like when, when, you, when you start the job, really. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Because for example, just lights and baking them and how that can affect problems. With mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily, I mean, that's somebody's full-time job, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have like technical artists and programmers that look at that. But mm-hmm. also, eventually, once you are an environment artist, that is something you need to worry about. Like once you're owning levels and stuff like that, you need to like worry right. about memory. You need to be worried about performance. For me, like kind of my, my daily routine now that I have the map up and running and stuff is like usually I get in and like every other day or whatnot, I'll kind of like boot up the console, play through the map, see how it's running, look at memory, things like that. Yeah, so it's, a, it's a pretty important facet for sure. But that's something you learn as you go. We don't expect expect you to know that when you come in. I didn't expect to get this technical because I want to look at some of your work too, but this is kind of cool to sit and chat about this. And one of the things that we started to integrate in the bootcamp is Shotgun. Okay. Do you guys use any particular project management or have you any that you kind of prefer? Yeah, I've mostly been in Jira. That's what like most companies I've been at have used. Respawn has like pretty much migrated to that as well now. We were using like Bugzilla before, which was kind of... Not as fully featured, but now it's all Jira. So that's pretty much that's the standard from like the past three companies I've been at. So that's very text heavy, right? It's like very much project oh, main. Oh, it's not that text heavy. It's like pretty visual. Um okay. and it's like pretty customizable. I think maybe baseline version of Jira is probably like that, but that's like, probably what I saw. Yeah. A lot of the project managers or producers, they they mod that and like script that up to actually be really user friendly for us. Nice. Yeah. That works for artists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, great. Okay, so I'd love to take a look at some of your work and talk through some of that. One of the things that we've been looking at lately a lot is mm-hmm. just trees. And uh, you're probably yeah. sick of hearing about <laughs> talking, right? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, but uh, for today, you know, the, the dilemma is if I want to create a scene, it's got trees, it's got some foliage. Mm-hmm. I know back in the day, you know, 10 years ago, we used ZBrush and, you know, that that was very important. But a lot of the software now is like, it's not as relevant anymore. So what do you use for organics and foliage today? Honestly, my workflow for like all the vegetation stuff I've, I've been working on has mostly yeah. been like speed tree centric. There's just like a lot, a lot of nice things in that program that kind of just like facilitate like the creation of it and yeah. just facilitates like iteration down the line just for right. like LEDs and things like that. But then... What I do is that to like kind of avoid like that typical speed tree look because like I, I feel yes. like that's the rap that people kind of give speed tree sometimes or even like is world it, machine where yeah it's right where I was going too yeah so like there's like that speed tree look or world machine look but yeah sure if you take something default like barely tweak it and like just export it out it'll look like mm-hmm. that but mm-hmm. what I end up learning from like at my time at Ubisoft and then on Shadow is that like you basically custom you can customize every single bit of your tree. You can customize like the bark texture. You can customize whether you use a custom trunk or not. You can use custom like canopy textures and all that. Mm-hmm. So basically we're we're doing all those things depending on your workflow. Yeah. So that's that's how you kind of avoid the typical speed tree look. At the end of the day, sometimes I'll start a tree off with like a base of like kind of an existing speed tree tree, just in terms of, like the node placement and things like that. Yeah. But then every every bit of that is like customized to like work to not look like that again. Are you using their decorations and their systems for creating knots, or are you using other things to do that? Not too, too much. 
it's mostly just like kind of stick to like more of the basic stuff, like just like mm -hmm. the spine and like the branches and all that. Yeah, sometimes like the knots and stuff, they can kind of give it away a bit that it's like a easy speed right. tree tree. For example, at Ubisoft, what we ended up doing was all our trunks were actually custom modeled. So like we just custom modeled like a straight mm -hmm. trunk in 3ds Max. Mm -hmm. That's what you bring into speed tree, and then you actually kind of like just displace with the the curves to get the shape that you want. Okay. So that way, like any knots and things like that are actually like hand modeled and like placed in there. So you mm -hmm. can hand model it, or like even like with photogrammetry workflows, you can just scan it and like have like a tile go up and stuff. Right. Yeah. Okay. In terms of texturing, do, are you using just like tileable textures? Are you pulling stuff from Substance? How are you pulling these uh, together? Yeah, my, my, my typical workflow for the last two games was I, on Far Cry, I didn't really do texturing. We had a texture artist who yeah. was doing that, and she was doing a great job. But on Shadow, I was doing all the texturing myself. But yeah, I had kind of like just developed a little workflow for myself of like just finding like kind of just uh, photo sourcing essentially to start. And just then, throwing photo textures first? Yeah, so I start with that. And then after like I. I'd um, export out, like I'd generate a height map from um, yeah. Endo really quick, and then mm -hmm. bring tessellate a plane, displace that, bring that into ZBrush, and then after I'd focus on just getting like the large, the kind of the the, the large and medium shapes like to read really good and, and feel good, mm -hmm. just to like, be able to generate a clean normal map from that, and then any and I don't focus on any small details things like that. Like I I just get that from Endo at the end and layer that on. Endo? So that way it was nice. Endo, um, Quixel Suite. Quixel, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that way, the advantage of that was that, like, so one, it was, like, really quick to just generate a bark texture, like, within, like, half a day, a day, you'd have, like, a pretty solid one. And the normal map would be, like, super clean, and as well as the height map. So that way, like, if you end up using tessellation on your tree eventually, or even just, like, blending and things like that, it, it works right. really nice. So, like, the noise is really low on it. Yeah. Have you found Substance Painter Designer coming in and taking over that workflow, or, or is it still... Yeah, with, like, Substance kind of gaining traction, like, definitely... Personally, I, I didn't use that on Shadow just because I was just starting to learn it and like I got in like right in production. So it was faster for me to like, yeah, just stick to Photoshop and Quixel and all that and pump stuff out versus having the ramp up for a few months to like learn substance and get going on that. But like that same workflow can definitely be translated to designer or painter or whatnot, just because like you have your high poly, you can kind of bake over the, the, the low poly stuff and generate from designer or painter. If I wanted to be an environment artist and I wanted to do the organics. I'm looking here in your art station, the uh, Shadow of War, the first one, vegetation asset yeah. shots. Yeah. Is this an acceptable thing for me to just be like, okay, look, I'm just going to create some trees. I got a, I don't even have a ground plane, just simple, because all I'm trying to do is showcase X, Y, and Z. Uh -huh. Is this something that I can put together and be like, this is my portfolio. If you saw this, you'd be like, damn, you got some skills or X, Y, and Z. Uh -huh. need to fix. No, I mean, if you're like specifically looking to just do vegetation, like I uh -huh. think that's, that, that's a good way to, to focus on it. Definitely, if you end up doing like a mini environment, like where you have like you'd made the ground textures and like have like a yeah. bit of terrain and kind of propagate it on that, kind of like the one up from there. Yeah. Just as a base, like it works, like because like, the focus is on really on like what you'd be doing. Because like typically, the like any vegetation artists I've worked with, like they weren't working on the terrain textures. You have like other texture artists that are doing that, like you're basically your substance guys and things like that. So yeah, this is like pretty focused and yeah, it would work for a vegetation artist if that's what you're aiming for. So, what are some of the common mistakes that people make trying to get into environment arts just you know in terms of their portfolio in terms of what they focus on sometimes when i look at at some scenes you can be like a bit too subtle on your details like say you're building like a little environment mm -hmm. or whatnot sometimes mm -hmm. it can be like a bit too clean like one thing early on that one of my art directors told me at ub was like you should always try to just like oversell what you're trying to trying to say because typically like we have a tendency to just be like very shy about our details 
Uh-huh. And it's like it's it's easy to it's easier to like just oversell and then we're like, okay, that's too far. And we can kind of like reel it back in a bit and then kind of find the happy medium. So that'd be one. A second would be like material definition. Like I think that's important to like kind of help push and like kind of know that you can like differentiate between uh different material surfaces and things like that. Mm-hmm. So kind of looking for that pop between materials. So that's the thing typically that like is kind of dull and like I when I when I see student work, I'm just like asking them to push that and kind of really differentiate everything. So yeah, that'd be the main thing. And then like, I mean, this one is like, it's trickier because it's like lighting and things like that. But typically in, in the industry, we have lighting artists and th- and stuff like that. So we don't expect the lighting to be like, oh, absolutely drop dead gorgeous and <laughs> perfect. But mm-hmm. if you have that leg up of like pushing that, like it'll definitely, you'll definitely stand out compared to others. How, how do we push that? You know, and, and along those lines, like, are there painters or is there a particular look that you kind of gravitate to, you know, For, cool oh. shadows? Oh, for lighting? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, kind of the typical stuff, like, you're kind of looking for, like, comp- complementary colors. A big big thing I like looking at personally for, like, lighting stuff is definitely just cinematographer, cinematographers. So, like, any any good cinematography, like, one of my favorite is Roger Deakins. Love his, all his work in, like, mm. a lot of the movies, like Blade Runner and right, yeah. you know, Country for Old Men and all that. Like, very naturalistic lighting and photography in general. But, yeah, lots of ways you can, like, reference good lighting. And that gives you a leg up. Yeah, I'd say so. If you have that on your environment, for sure. I'm looking at your Middle Earth Shadow of War vegetation level shot. And um, one of the problems that my students have is, you know, just uh, light in the shadows. You know, like the shadows just get, they just crush it. Yeah, crush any normals or like specularity and things like that. Yeah, totally. But I'm looking at this and it's beautifully lit. <laughs> I guess it depends on what lighting uh, format you guys use. Typically for baked lighting, it can kind of produce that like in the shadows where it kind of like flatten things out a lot. Mm-hmm. And then you have to kind of like have like a lot of like helper lights to kind of help fix that. So if you go all dynamic, like that, which is what we had here, it was kind of like a mix of dynamic and baked stuff, but like okay. it was mostly dynamic. So like that's why like, yeah, when you look at the shadows, like things like pop more where like the specularity is reacting still and you still see the normals and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it kind of comes down to that in terms of the lighting scheme that you adopt. Cool. What got you into games? Yeah, I think it was like back in high school. Yeah. I've always been kind of like a kind of big gamer growing up. And I think what kind of the game that kind of like pushed me over and kind of did it for me was um, Half-Life 2 at the time. Okay. Like I played that and I was just like kind of looking at all the art and like kind of just realizing, oh, like people are building this. This is like something that like that'd be pretty interesting to do. And actually initially I was thinking of more going into programming just because like my schooling was kind of like very kind of science and math heavy but towards the end of high school i kind of just realized that i as good as i was at like math and science i i didn't really care for it really yeah. <laughs> so, were their parents pushing you off on the program? oh yeah definitely definitely that asian uh <laughs> that asian <laughs> upbringing <laughs> um so but at the end i kind of like yeah kind of pivoted at the end and yeah. realized like oh there's like the art side of it and kind of almost did that on a whim. And it's like, it's it's kind of worked out. Like if you saw like the, the we had to do like a drawing test to go into like the 3D school I went to. It was like, mm-hmm. stuff was horrible. I think my grades like helped save me <laughs> more than anything else. Yeah, fair. Oh, and 3D, so much programming. Yeah, I, yeah. My wife is Indian and already the, there's talk of MIT. So the media <laughs> lab and my daughter's like eight years old. Yeah, you know? yeah. And yep. I think there's a, I <laughs> a woman, Katie Bowman just got some, acknowledgement for for the, the black, black hole. hole yeah yeah so my wife's like mit she's oh she went to boston and so now she's researching like her parents and everything it's quite hilarious 
yeah, yeah. My dad is like uh, Bengali, so like kind of kind of Indian, and then my mom's like Filipino. So yeah, I kind of get like from both sides. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Do you think yeah. it helps having a kind of tech mind or at least a foundation of that for this? I think it definitely does. Personally, I'm, I lean a bit more that way. I like, I do mm-hmm. enjoy the art side, but I do enjoy the tech side of it. I'm just kind of like making things like run good and like get things in memory. I think it, it can give, it definitely gives you a leg up in terms of like, you have to be like kind of less reliant. It, it lets you let, be less reliant on like kind of programmers and tech artists to like kind of come tell you. It's like, oh, fix this. And it's like, right. it lets you like kind of push things a bit better because like you, you know the visual side of it. Better. So you're like, you kind of know the dials and knobs you can push rather than to be like, okay, they'll just like cut all this stuff. And I was like, but if I do this and this, I could still keep that stuff and make it still look good. So nice. Yeah. Nice. That actually makes me think, you know, because um, with games, we always hear, I hear a lot, you know, it's, it's a hard job. You have to art test, you know, it's, mm-hmm. you're not, and there's layoffs and there's this and that, like there was some recent rounds of layoffs. Most of it yeah. was actually in PR and like mm-hmm. Blizzard laid off a, a thousand. It's mostly PR and Community. Yeah, there, there, there were definitely some devs in there. They kind of like, yeah, they kind of downplayed, like, downplayed that. But yeah. yeah. So in terms of the health of this industry, you know, and for somebody, you know, maybe even somebody who's facing the decision of like, how the hell do I convince my parents to do this? Uh-huh. And maybe they're looking at a programming option because if, if you're a programmer, you're pretty much guaranteed work. Yeah, programmers have it like pretty good. <laughs> it's, it's just whether uh-huh. or not that's the work you want to do. Every yeah, single yeah. day. No, exactly. Like, yeah, if you're miserable and you're doing that, it's not great. Right. Um, but I mean, in in the end, for art jobs, I think the most secure jobs in a way are if you work your way up to kind of being kind of like a level owner and a world builder and things like that. Because at the end mm-hmm. of the day, like it's those people that are putting it together at, at, in, in the engine and like that's the people that they have on staff to kind of do that. Mm-hmm. So like with kind of like the prevalence of like outsourcing and things like that, like props and things like that, like a lot of that mm-hmm. will get outsourced. So in a way, if you if you kind of just focus on props exclusively in, in your portfolio, that can kind of be like that tricky balance. So in terms of long term stability, I, personally, I think it's yeah, it's good to like kind of build up to like owning environments and building full environment, fully fledged environments rather than just like individual props. So yeah. if we're talking about that pathway, let's say most people can come in and they can say, OK, I understand props. I understand game arts. You know, there's a pathway. It's uh-huh. high res, low res get your bake done, get your materials established, and then in engine. Got mm-hmm. it. Okay. Yeah. We can learn that. We can do that. Now, if I want to evolve past that and I want to start owning my own environments, what are some of the skills that come uh, into play then? So it's definitely like just developing a good eye for detail and storytelling. I always say for like props, like that's like kind of the best way to practice in the beginning, just because like something that you can kind of just like really focus on and spend a couple of days on, like you, you kind of just really think about how how it's being used so like where the where the wear is and things like that so like there's only there's certain parts of something that'll be like that'll be worn like the a door is like kind of the perfect example where like things around the handle will be like more worn like you'll have kind of like dirt kicked up from the bottom right. like a, the door is almost like it's just so simple but it's like a perfect kind of storytelling device for that stuff mm. but then mm. you're basically taking that and then expanding the canvas in a way right where you're built you're taking that that same eye for detail and like putting it to like a, a whole environment so like you're almost less focused on like the details of the props, but then you're like thinking of like the arrangements of them and like how they're focused and mm-hmm. how like a player would pat through that and like how you're going to lead the eye through that through that space. 
So definitely like an eye for detail and just like kind of overall composition and things like that. That's the big thing. And then also, of course, like that, this you'll gradually learn, but like just working with designers and like knowing how to go back and forth with them and like how to kind of get your ideas pushed through and kind of compromise with their designs. Because yeah, a lot of the times like, like you'll get an LD block out. And if you didn't kind of work closely with them, like sometimes it can just be like, oh, like what's this? And you got to figure it out and make sense of it visually and not make it feel weird. <laughs> so let me ask you this. What the hell is a level designer? So <laughs> I say I say that tongue in cheek, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so if I want to, and this is one of the weird things in our industry, if I want to go get a, if I want to get a job as an accountant, all right, I go get an accounting degree. Yeah, makes sense. I want to go work in games. I, what the hell do I do? I go to an animation school mm-hmm. to then go into an environment program and do what? And then there's game development and game programming, right? It, like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unfortunately for designers, there's not as many like schools and things like that. It's not as prevalent as programming or game art. Um, yeah. So what is it? What is that job all about? Yeah. So like, I mean, at the end of the day, they do a lot of the stuff like under the hood that basically mm-hmm. basically makes the game feel good. So at first, like they're starting out and they're just like blocking out the level. So like they're they're kind of like defining the overall flow of the level, all the kind of like major landmarks and things like that. And like there's a bit of a back and forth with art and stuff, but. Mm-hmm. Typically, like that's what they're laying out. They're 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 laying out like kind of like the skelet- the rough skeleton of the level, and then after past that, it kind of moves into like a lot of scripting, like enemy enemy placement, things like that. So ma- making sure a lot of the gameplay elements work. So like say if you have a game with like cover, for example, like they're making sure to tag stuff properly and like make sure like that all feels good for the player. So yeah, they do a lot of the under the hood stuff. So like yeah, they're in a way like we always talk about them, but they're like kind of like. <laughs> Yeah, they're 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 under the hood of the art and whatnot. Like we ha- we have kind of center stage, but they're responsible for like how good it feels in the end of the day. <laughs> Gameplay, mechanics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, taking like all their their systems and like placing that in a level, making that all interact together, coming up with like kind of all the crazy sequences that you would go to go through. Okay, so, and they're, yeah. they're kind of big picture. You're coming in as an environment artist. You're number mm-hmm. one creating the assets that they position and move around. Yeah. Um, and then when you own a level, you're a little higher up and you're actually doing some of that design and that level design yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah, you're basically partnering with them and then like you're you're just basically trying to both push your your interests in different ways. Um mm-hmm. yeah. So it's like for example with my designer now, like we're really working closely together and like kinda working on making sure some storytelling moments uh come through or even like world building moments for like just environmental environmental stuff and like kind of big vistas and things like that. Do you guys interact with uh, script writers, directors? What's the rest of this whole picture look like? Yeah, no, definitely. Like, I mean, it kind of comes and goes. Like, at at the beginning, you typically have, like, a kickoff for your map, and then that's, like, Mm kind of everyone involved. Your art director, it could be the game director, narrative people, and then you're just kind of running through, like, the major beats of the level, and then kind of designer and the artist kind of go off and try to lay that all out together and try to answer all those different questions and, and beats of the level. And then now we're kind of getting into the rhythm uh, recently where we're kind of doing regular reviews with like all the departments and then we're just kind of just doing call outs and, and kind of looking at stuff together and kind of just really shoring everything up. Got it. This is all kind of behind the scenes stuff, you know, that mm-hmm. just people don't hear about until they're actually on the job. Yeah, yeah. So one of the dilemmas I've got with the, my term two students is how much of this can we introduce? So we kind of talked about this a little bit yeah. earlier. How much of this do we need to introduce? So you're going to look at Lawrence's work here in a moment. And Lawrence has built this really cool scene. It's a lot of stuff, but he's like, ah, man, if I have to have gameplay, then I got to deal with the bake shadows. Super Uh big 
I got to bake all that stuff, optimize it, make sure everything's working and he's like failing. And, and so he has to make a decision between being more technically minded versus uh-huh. being more art minded. And obviously right. art's going to win because he wants the yeah. environment artist job. Yeah. Yeah. So how much of this is necessary? Like, is it even worthwhile for us to have students pushing this gameplay or? Yeah, not as much. Like, I don't think, like we were saying earlier, you don't have to like focus as much of like about like performance and mm-hmm. things like that. At the end of the day, like you're trying to sell yourself as an artist and like you want it to look good because you you are in a spot where like you don't have to like worry about design and stuff like that yet. And like that'll come eventually once you're on the job. Yeah. So definitely, yeah, as a student, like you should worry more about the visual fidelity and making sure it looks good before mm-hmm. anything else. But it was funny. I was talking about this with the junior I work with at work, um, Evan, and he was just saying how I was like, I was like, oh, was there like stuff that like you felt you weren't prepared for when you came on? And then he said the biggest thing he felt like school didn't prepare him for was just like the whole teamwork aspect of kind of like mm-hmm. working on a level with someone else and things like right. that. So it's like, that's one way I feel like schools can kind of help push that where like you kind of have like maybe one or two group projects where people work together and kind of build up an environment together. And like that kind of gives a little taste, a taster of like how it would be in, in the industry. Because yeah. like typically you're not alone just building everything on your own. Like you, you have a team of people under you or with you as well. Got it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. In terms of an environment like even this Middle Earth one, how many artists are working on that? Oh yeah, we were we were quite a few. I can't count off the top of my head, but I want to see. Yeah, we were definitely like at least a dozen, like fifteen, sixteen or so. Uh, it was a pretty wow. big environment. Okay. Our team because we had like five open world levels to cover. So for me, I was just kind of focused on vegetation for the whole project. So that's what I was doing for for all yeah. the levels. Yeah. But then, yeah, there were some people that were focused on these rocks over here and like they were like kind of doing tons of photogrammetry stuff and going outside, taking scans and building all that out in a level. Mm-hmm. Some people were focused on these structures. Um, they, they, they divvied up a lot of stuff throughout the team. And then after there was like a few key level owners that kind of like helped put all that together. So, yeah, productions are big. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So this, yeah, definitely. Yeah, the last two jobs have definitely been in the smallest ones I've done, like UB being one of the bigger ones. You play games still? Yeah, less in the last two years or so since I got to respawn. It's just been so busy, and yeah. like sometimes I just get home and I'm like, I kind of need to do something else rather than <laughs> look at another screen. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I try to keep up with like any any of the major releases. So like yeah. like say last year I played like God of War like a week straight and just finished mm. it. Red Dead things like that. So I try to play like the big tentpole games to kind of just like you know keep tabs on what they're doing and like mm-hmm. and I think that's always a great way to like yeah just see what others are doing, see what you can kind of take or improve on. For example, I remember when I was working on Shadow of War, Horizon was out at the time. And then mm-hmm. my mind was kind of blown because I was like looking at their vegetation, which was like fantastic. And then I realized one time, I was like, holy shit, all your vegetation is casting shadows. And I was like, it was probably one of the first games I've noticed that, that's, that's done that. Mm-hmm. So like, say for example, on, on my stuff, like we have the bushes casting shadows, this ivy, the trees. But then they had it for like the grass, which is like, Typically for most games, that's like too expensive, especially for console. So it's like stuff like that where you're just like, shit, like, can we try that? And like, I ended up trying it. It was like too expensive. I tried multiple methods to get it to work, but get it working for this game. But Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I think it's important to like look at other stuff and kind of see how you can kind of push that needle or tweak stuff. Do you think it's important for somebody getting into this to either be a gamer or to have some familiarity with the craft or Um. I mean, it definitely helps, but also know like people that are super talented at their job and like that barely play any games <laughs> anymore, or like just to begin with, they're, they're very light on it. I think it's like as long as you you at least like if you don't play them, like at least you're like watching them on Twitch or like just keeping up with videos and stuff like that. At the end of the day, it is still like 
yeah, just like it, it is important to look at other stuff, whether you play it or whether you watch it. That makes sense. So not essential, definitely a plus. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so when you're working now on the hard surface stuff, are you doing mostly like geometry and just 3D modeling to build these things out? How much is substance in some of this new tech coming in? Not that it's that new, but... Um, I'm actually, for this project, well, one thing I wanted to try was like kind of more a face-weighted normal modeling approach. Uh-huh. So I kind of like, for most of the assets I've been working on lately is I'm kind of foregoing like having like a macro normal map for it and like kind of like a, a hard surface pick for it. And uh, yeah, okay. I just kind of do like face weighted normal. So like put kind of like those bevels and then kind of run that script on it. And you basically have like kind of like a nice high poly look, but with like very minimal geo. And then you get a lot of like kind of the wear and tear and like the texture detail from like masking with like a layered material system. And that's what you're lef- leveraging substance for. You're just like pumping out those masks to, to layer those materials. You, wait, you're using substance for the masks or substance for the materials? For the masks. Yeah, so we already have, like, say, a library of, of materials. And then after you're basically uh-huh, like yeah. masking between those materials. So the, the, the base materials are generated in Substance Designer by like, one of our guys, Robert yeah. Wolinski, who's, like, fantastic. Yeah. And then after, we're, we're basically generating masks in Painter to, like, um, just mask everything and blend between, like, a painted metal or a painted just paint or metal and then rust or dirt, things like that. That's cool. So about a year ago, I was telling all my students, look, you know, guys, you're running out of the window. If you master substance designer, you you know, it's still like a huge need. One of the first people I interviewed, this guy, uh, James Raitosa. And uh, <laughs> James, really awesome artist, young, right? Yeah. And um, like just an amazing success story because he just bypassed college, went right to AAA games. And- oh, wow. And it's it was self, just working. Self-taught, yeah. Yeah. And, well, he, uh, yeah, self-taught. And he um, interned at Allegorhythmic, you know, and he was okay. like, he was in it and all that stuff, you know, and substance and surfacing obviously is a big part of that job for him. Yeah. Is that still the case today? Is substance still something where if you master it, it still works? Because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of hearing, you know, most people have their surface dude now. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's, everyone generally has like a, a base understanding of like designer and they can kind of like mm-hmm. work with stuff, especially yeah. like if we are, you already have a substance guy and he's kind of like set up like a bunch of materials. I feel like you need to be comfortable to go in and that, in that file and be able to like make variants if you need to. But yeah, I mean, it definitely is like, there's only like usually a few people that do designer on teams, like say on shadow of war, it was like Josh Lynch and Albert Soto. And then here we have like our guy, Robert Wolinski who's doing that. It's almost like, I want to say like character art in a way where it's like, it's like fewer people doing it, but mm-hmm. then like the, the rest of the team uses a lot of that stuff. So it's not as essential. Like it's not as much of an opportunity. Is that? Yeah. It's harder to like, I'd say the studios typically already have their substance guys or whatnot. Like maybe they'll yeah. add like two more, but mm-hmm. it's like a relatively like small pool. You right. know? Cause um, they can crank out materials left, right and center. Yeah, no, exactly. And yeah, they just, they just, like when I started, like there was already like a big bank and like same thing for like on Shadow of War. We, we kind of had like a similar material approach with like layered materials. So if I wanted to like Emily, and I think we'll, we'll pop over and start looking at work here in a moment. But um, mm-hmm. if I wanted, Emily's got this, this facade she's going to, she's building. Mm-hmm. Is it relevant for her to go and do substance designer and build the bricks and all of that stuff or is the job really just about how she layers these things so she can go to substance source grab a bunch of stuff and then just make it look beautiful gradients top to bottom um for students i think it's it is pretty important to have those fundamentals of like knowing how to build like every piece of the Mm -hmm. environment so i'd say that'd be still pretty important to do regardless Mm -hmm. like at the job like 
that might be very different. But yeah, it's important to have the fundamentals and like like if push comes to shove, we we need like a bunch of new textures and like we need we should we need to be able to rely on you to do that, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it is important to do that for sure. I think at the end of the day too is that like if you want to be an environment artist too, like you should be building those little environments with it, not just kind of just having render balls and that's all you have. So yeah, yeah, that's the that's the catch twenty two I find some people because you get into designer it gets addictive because it's like program yeah because you 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 just crank stuff out so fast and variants <laughs> and you're like looks amazing with all this tessellation but at the end of the day too I want to see like how are you using that in an environment and how are you doing <laughs> yeah. stuff with it so yeah yeah and then you got ten shader balls and no environment yeah exactly all so. right so how do you keep yourself motivated and and inspired to do this job what do you do as just an artist. Honestly, it's, it's kind of bad, but like I haven't really done any personal work since I've gone in industry. I've just kind mm-hmm. of been like relying on just pushing as much as I can at work and like kind of having like solid work coming out of that. So typically, like when I get home, I just I just try to like kind of properly relax and unwind from there. Yeah. Um, like what? What does it look like? You know, just uh, Game of Thrones or is there? You know? <laughs> yeah, on, on lazy nights, definitely like a lot of TV. <laughs> um, I think reading like is as dumb as it is, is like a great way to like kind of get the creative juices flowing in terms uh-huh. of like just thinking about different spaces and like, just like reading those descriptions and kind of letting your mind wander a bit. Yeah. So that's been nice. been kind of getting back into that this year and just kind of re- trying to read a book a month and then just kind of just going out and doing stuff like hang out with friends and like, or whether it's going on hikes and things like that, like right. just <laughs> seeing nature and kind of relaxing helps a lot for sure. Not just making it, like being yeah. indoors making it. Uh huh. Yeah. Like going out. Yeah. Look at the stuff that you might be making. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And re- respawns actually. That's in Orange County, am I right? No, no. We're up in uh, the valley in Chatsworth, nor- north of LA. North of LA. Okay. Yeah. Is there a, is Constantine? I forget Constantine's last name, but I think he was uh, L- Leontiev. Yes, that would have yeah. been. Him. Yeah. Yeah. He He's was up there with you. Yep, yep. He's uh, our destruction artist. He's a badass. Awesome. Joby, man, thank you so much for being in here, for taking the time. Yeah, this is great. Busy and, um, and for sharing your wisdom with us. Yeah, and if you guys have like any other questions or want some feedback, like feel free to email me or book me on ArtStation, whatever. Always happy that's, to help. That's great. You know, a lot of my students are always very cautious about that, yeah. which is obviously good because you can overdo it. Um, yeah. But I always tell them, you know, we all, almost everybody in this industry kind of had to learn on their own to some extent. Mm-hmm. So we're yeah. always usually giving. Yeah. And I, I mean, I wish I had like a podcast like these and stuff when I was kind of coming up in school back in like mm. 20, 2007, 2010. So it's yeah. nice to get, be able to give back. Yeah. I'm definitely sometimes I'm like, can be super busy and like, I can take a while to get back, but try my best. <laughs> yeah. Me too. I disappear for weeks at a time from email. Yeah. <laughs> that's, <laughs> yep. that's a little hard. Uh, all right. Any last words for people that are looking to get in any uh, wisdom that you wish you would had given or been given um, yeah i guess it's maybe two main things i had like a little list of stuff i want to talk about but like i think one interview question i always like asking like whether it's a senior person or a junior but especially juniors and especially like especially because they have like a lot of personal projects yeah is that i kind of take one of their scenes like typically some of their oldest one and i just say like so given the chance to like go back on this what would you change what would you improve Right. And so that way, like that really shows me like how self-critical you can be of your work and how is it you can be like taking feedback from us and giving feedback uh-huh. about your own uh-huh. stuff. So I think that's like really important because like, yeah, we want kind of people to be able to like look at their stuff and know what they can improve uh, without ne- us necessarily telling them. But like we will be helping them along. But mm-hmm. you need to have that base of self-criticism for your own stuff. 
for me, like that's almost like it's almost like an instant no for me if like I ask someone that and then they're just like, oh, like I'd maybe change this little thing, but everything else seems pretty fine. But it's like, right. just like I've had interviews like that and I'm just like, all right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, but there's clearly a lot of stuff you could have improved and like run us through of what you would have done. So that's definitely one thing to, to pay attention to, like practice with classmates, taking feedback about your scene, giving feedback. And I guess the other thing too is just like, kind of always do more for your stuff like kind of mm-hmm. always go the extra mile like whether it's like you finish school and then like you're applying for jobs and stuff like that keep working on polishing your school projects after you're done mm-hmm. um doing personal projects on top of that trying to find like in, like indie projects or mod projects to help out on to kind of get that leg up of experience mm-hmm. despite not being in the industry yet that's great do you look for like a little bit of an addiction to making things better does that make sense yeah i mean constant self-improvement like yeah, yeah. it's yeah, if if we kind of see that that kind of growth potential, and like that's mm-hmm. that's what we're looking for at the end of the day, right? Yeah, that you just kind of always want to better yourself and and do better in what you're doing. Yeah, so. latest software does that figure into it, or is that less important? That definitely helps, but for me, it's not that 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 big of a deal. It's like it's mm-hmm. it's good to like kind of keep up with what's already there. Say for example, there's like Houdini kind of coming up like totally. really fast now, but at the same time, it's not so widely adopted in studios either. So it's not like oh, okay, we're not gonna like hire a junior to do Houdini stuff. Like we'll try to find like a seasoned expert for that. So yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Thank you so much, my friend. Really great talking to you. Yeah, it was great talking. Catch you next time. All right. Take care guys. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to this. And I want to ask just two things of you. Number one, make sure to leave a comment or rank this wherever you are listening to it on Apple, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. Really makes a difference in helping us get the word out about this industry and about what we do. Number two, make sure you visit vertexschool.com to learn more about what programs we offer in this area as a creative and for artists who are looking to jumpstart their career and discover a new industry. Again, thank you so much for listening. We're accepting applications right now, so I look forward to hearing from you soon.